This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Friday the 6th of November. That's right. And we already had a couple of vaccine agreements um, in the bag with the federal government. So none of the vaccines uh, that are in the pipeline have been approved for use yet. But there's a few that are kind of front runners. And we've, we've now had another two agreements be signed by the federal government to give Australia access to the vaccines when, if and when they become available. So that's four now potential vaccines that Australians are going to have access to. Norman, what's the benefit of having a couple of horses in the race for Australia? There are a couple of reasons for this. Just to quickly run through, there's the University of Queensland vaccine, which is yet to go through the sort of final phase trials that the other three are going through. So it's a, it's a bit behind. So essentially, this gives us a choice of three in the near term. And it allows us to um, have a supply. So you're varying your supplier should something happen with the manufacturing process. So that's the first thing that happens. Secondly, we're varying the technology that we're backing. So now there's three, actually four different technologies that we're backing here with the vaccines. That gives us some insurance about which ones might succeed or not. And it's not just if they fall over and they don't make it to approval. It's also some may be more effective. Remember, these vaccines will get regulatory approval if they're 50% effective at preventing COVID-19 disease. Not infection. COVID-19 disease. So if one of these vaccines does that at 70%, well, that's pretty good. And we might have one of those in in our back pocket. One of these vaccines might do it at 60%, but prevent infection as well. And that would be good to have in your back pocket. So it's, it's a really clever thing to do is to back different technologies for all those reasons. Falling over, effectiveness, and securing supply should the manufacturing process fall over. And just to recap, so the initial two agreements were between Australia and the University of Queensland vaccine that you mentioned, still uh, a little bit further behind in its process. The Oxford vaccine was the other one. And then what are the new, the two new ones? Two new ones are the Oxford vaccine, just to remind people, is a chimpanzee virus that they use to take the protein into the cell. Uh, the other company, the third company is Novavax, which has got a highly innovative form of vaccine, which has never really been tried before. And we actually tested that in phase one in Australia for safety. And the other one is made by Pfizer and it's, MR, it's an mRNA technology, which is actually putting the genetic material straight into the cell with an instruction there to produce the spike protein. So those are the other two, Novavax, Pfizer, on top of uh, the Oxford University Astro one and the University of Queensland CSL. Do you have a preferred vaccine candidate, Norman, or do you, do you have a, a take on which one you think is going to come out first at least? Well, I think the University of Queensland vaccine is the safest one in many ways in terms of getting a result because it uses an adjuvant, this chemical that induces an immune response that's been tried over 200 million times around the world uh, with uh, no safety problems and a fairly traditional, not traditional, but it's a new technology, a new platform, but of directly stimulating the immune system. So I think the University of Queensland one has got the advantage of simplicity, easy to distribute because it doesn't need very cold temperatures to be distributed. Um, so I like that one. The Novavax one is quite exciting, as is the Pfizer one because of the new technology, but new technology brings risk of the unknown. It sounds like I just asked you which of your children was your favourite and you just talked around it and didn't give a straight answer. <laughs> UQ. <laughs> Norman's favourite child is UQ. 
Sorry, Jonathan Swan. I might not tell you which is my favourite whiskey, but I will tell you which is my favourite <laughs> vaccine. So let's say a best case scenario is that all four of them are fantastic and they all enter the market. Does the consumer have any say in in how and which one they choose? Is it possible to shop around? What do we know from previous vaccines? Well, I think there's more than there's more than one supplier of influenza vaccines into the market in Australia, and there are other you know, a lot of, you know, several vaccines where there's more than one manufacturer, so there is competition. So some of that will be, uh, eventually when it all settles down, some of that will be on price. So what, what the Australian government tends to do is, arg- is bargain quite hard on price. That's in a normal market situation. And choose the most cost-effective medication, in this case a vaccine, and that's how it would normally work. Um, when there's competitive competition in the marketplace, usually most of the vaccines are roughly at the same price um, and there's been a competitive arrangement there. And I'm not quite sure how it's decided who gets what. So in theory, if there's a lot of difference between the vaccines, you should be given informed consent about what you're getting and what to expect. But I think it's going to be a bit of first come, first served and making sure that everybody who needs to get a dose in the first round gets one. So we've got four agreements now. Is that enough? How many horses does the Australian government need to have in this race? The answer is you can't know. I mean, if we're super unlucky, all four fall over and we've got to start again. That's not going to happen. One or two are going to have benefit, if not all four, in which case we've got a, a good situation to be in. And if the UQ vaccine vaccine is a really good one, I, su- I assume we'll preferentially buy that one. Oh, well, it's kind of exciting to, to see that these things are not just a shimmer on the horizon, but they're really kind of getting closer. Yeah, and, um, and I think we should just look on these as being securing supply and securing options for the most effective vaccine to be given to Australians. So let's talk about what's happening in Australia, Norman, and it's really exciting news again in Victoria. Yesterday we heard that there's only 20 active cases left in Victoria and no more active cases in aged care, which is a real milestone for them. Victoria's going really well and it's it's at zero spread so far. So hopefully if that can go on for another five to ten days, we can be pretty sure there's very little virus left in Victoria other than the virus we might bring in from hotel quarantine and so on moving forward. But at the moment, they've cleared the decks, which is fantastic. And we've got a comment from Laura uh, saying, do Norman and Tegan realise that there are actually more than the three states in the Commonwealth of Australia, perhaps mention states which are not on the eastern seaboard? What do you have to say about that, Norman? Laura, I understand what you're saying. I actually do mention Western Australia quite a lot because it's a state with uh, no virus there at the moment but they've really skirted close to the wind because they've had freighters arrive with COVID-19 on board and so um, Western Australia has done really well but it's at risk as is every other uh, jurisdiction. South Australia is doing really well and they opened their borders up earlier than others. Tasmania is going well and it's opening up its borders. Queensland is also doing well. Every, um, sorry, and I should remember the ACT, which has gone for a long, long time with no cases. And NT is taking one for the team by quarantining a lot of returned travellers on, on their um, Howard Springs station. Yeah. So, Laura, does that make you happy? I've kind of <laughs> covered the nation. I've not gone out to Lord Howe Island because I don't know who, what's happening there. Hopefully it's COVID-free too. Absolutely. Well, Norman, it's Friday, so let's do some quickfire questions. Are you ready for me to slam you with some questions? Quickfire Friday, go. Many people contracted COVID-19 in Australia before tests were available in February. Uh, Is there any way for those people to find out whether they had the virus early on, especially what we know now about potential long-term ailments associated with the virus? You can ask for an antibody test, but the antibodies do disappear after a while. 
And so the fact that you don't have antibodies does not mean that you didn't have the disease. And that's about it. You also ask about a lung scan. Um, there is some evidence that if you've got COVID long and you've got some symptoms that your, your chest x-ray can be a bit abnormal, your chest CT. I'm not sure that's an, an excuse for having the extra radiation of a CT scan, but that might, uh, you know, that might help too, but only really if you're continuing to be sick. So Marion's asking about how she's heard of some European countries culling all of their farmed mink because they're reporting a mutated strain of coronavirus that has been passed from minks to humans. What are the implications of this mutated strain if it's true? Well, it's true that uh, many mink have been sacrificed and it's true that it's a particular strain of coronavirus and it's true they've also found it in humans. And if you want to find out more of this, you should actually go to the Health Report um, and download the Health Report podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, the producer, James Bullen, covered that story and he covered it on on the 21st of September, so only a couple of weeks ago if you scroll back through your feed. So we're always here to please. When will the results of the inquiry that was supposed to be undertaken in China to determine the origin of the virus be known? Well, this is something we were talking about yesterday. That's unclear, and it's unclear whether it'll be worth anything at all when it's done because the Chinese do not seem to be allowing it to be independent. Well, that's a wrap for Quickfire Friday and for Coronacast this week. But keep your questions coming in because we'll be back on Monday. Go to abc.net.au slash coronacast and select Ask Your Questions and uh, we'll answer them. We'll see you Monday. See you then.